it out. Uh, yo, it's a blessing to be amongst you guys, for real, for real. Y'all don't know how, like, surreal this is. Yeah, y'all can clap it up. Y'all can clap it up. Um, as he said, my name is uh, Recap, uh, not Rechab, not Rechad, not Raycab or anything like that. Uh, it's Recap, so like Re and then a taxi cab is the easiest way to uh, remember my name. Uh, I'm pastoring out in Des Moines, Iowa. I lived in Philly for like 10 years with my wife and uh, kids. We got married out here. I was at a church out here. So the Lord has been super faithful to our family. And for some reason, uh, our God, who we serve and love and honor and respect and adore, has a wonderful sense of humor to decide to move me to a place that I never even knew it existed. And so uh, I'm in Des Moines, Iowa. It's not Idaho. It's not Ohio. It's, uh, it's Iowa. Um, and yes, indeed, there is a hood out there. So uh, we're trying to do some work out there. God is super, super faithful. Uh, I got two brothers I love dearly, uh, Augie and Ike out here with me. And uh, the most important people in my life outside of Jesus Christ were not able to make the trip with me. Uh, but I promise you one day I will bring my wife and two kids. My wife is beautiful. She's brilliant. She's godly. She's all that, y'all. So uh, y'all going to have a, a wonderful opportunity to meet her one day. Yeah, y'all can clap it up for her, too. Y'all got to clap it up loud for my wife so she can hear the podcast and, and know y'all celebrated her well. There we go. There we go. There we go. All right. So um, I'm going to try to open up the text. So I want y'all to know that we're going to be in Psalm 103, uh, Psalm 103. And so while you're turning there, uh, I want to do something very special. And so I'm going to try to keep it. A, dang, no, it's not going to happen right now. Uh, I'm going to try to keep it together. Um, so... Um, Wow. I didn't know I was going to get emotional on this. Uh, so, so your pastor, Pastor Larry, um, and his wife, uh, Mrs. Harriet, um, I truly see as my mother and father in the faith. Uh, when me and my wife got married, they were the ones to walk my wife and I through some very difficult times, some very rough patches, uh, and just really discipled us. Uh, we were extremely immature. We got married at 21 years old, and so we were extremely immature. Uh, we didn't have a clue of what we were doing in marriage, and they just took the time to patiently disciple us through the scriptures. Uh, it's hard to be patient with some knuckleheads, y'all, <laughs> if you know what it is. And so um, he is one of the most godly men I've ever been around. Uh, the same person that you meet in public is the same person he is in private. He loves his wife well. Uh, he's a goofball. He's a jokester. Uh, but he gets very serious when it comes to the word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so can you guys do me a favor? Just let's take a few moments and honor your pastor, Pastor Larry, for the work he has done in the city, for the man that God has made him, and the discipleship that he has actually done. I would love for you guys to stand and just honor him, please. Yeah. Hallelujah. God is so faithful. All right, thank you guys. Thank you guys. All right, so Psalm 103, when you have it, say amen. amen. That is hearty. Um, so I know you guys do normally stand for the reading of the word, right? So that's not, that's not weird or anything. So we're going to do that this Sunday as well. So why don't we go ahead and stand for the reading of the word. Psalm 103, and I'm actually going to read all of this over you. I feel like my mic is far. Everybody can hear me up there? I'm good? Uh, up? You want it? Oh, we're good. I got a thumbs up. All right, cool, cool, cool. All right, Psalm 103. And this is what the word of the Lord says. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I know somebody wants their youth renewed like the eagles. And not the 2019 eagles, the 2018 eagles who won the Super Bowl. <laughs> now that's bad exegesis, y'all. Let's keep reading. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 
He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Hallelujah. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is, listen, from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. On those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children. To those who keep his commandments and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, oh, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Let's read this last line together. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Hallelujah, y'all. Hallelujah. Let's give a hand clap to the Lord Jesus Christ, y'all. You know you're in a text when you don't got to do no preaching at all. I could take my seat right now, but I'm going to take a little bit of time to unpack this. You can take your seats. The title of my sermon is simple. Pastor Larry made fun of me. He said, I'm not creative enough. It's simply bless the Lord. We're not going to go anywhere but from this particular text, and I think it has a lot to say to us. See, uh, one of the things that I love, 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 love to do is to go to wedding receptions. Now, oftentimes as a pastor, I am now doing the wedding ceremonies, and it's wonderful to preach the wedding ceremony. It's wonderful to see them take their vows. But one of my favorite things to do is to get to the wedding reception. And I don't know if that's because I get to eat more. Or if it's because I get to watch people dance. And notice how I said that. I ain't doing the dancing. I'm just watching folks do it. Now, when you go to a wedding reception or a party or any type of event, uh, or as some of y'all would go or don't want to admit it, go to a club, one thing that's always there is a DJ. And there's an eclectic variety of DJs. A DJ Pastor Larry might choose might be very different than the DJ I would choose. Uh, we are brothers from another mother and a different color, amen? And so you have different types of DJs, some from the South. You got DJs with an East Coast feel, and you got DJs from the West Coast. There's an eclectic variety of DJs, but one thing is for sure. If the DJ wants to get people on the dance floor, he's going to put on an action song. Now, an action song are songs that have one simple purpose, and it's simply this, to call you to do what the song says. Just do what the song says. Now, if you think about some action songs that we might sing as kids, you have head, shoulders, knees, and what? Toes. Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. And you sing that song and you act it out as you're singing it. For some of you, you might know a song called the Tootsie Roll. Any amens in the, in the building? You might know the song called the Tootsie Roll. To the left, to the left, to the right, to the right, to the front, to the front, to the back, to the back. Now dip, baby. No, don't do that part right there. But the Tootsie Roll. Some of us might be a little bit more new school, and you know the cha-cha. Slide to the left. What you got to do next? Slide to the right. And then what you got to do? Clap your hands, everybody. Clap your hands, right? Y'all not going to clap your hands? You got action songs. One of my Favorite action songs because my son loved it so much is the Whip Nay Nay. And you got to know the artist who made the Whip Nay Nay is a preacher. Because <laughs> he understood that just his declaration of the Whip Nay Nay wasn't enough. He said, I'm not just going to preach it to you. I'm going to exemplify it for you. So he doesn't just say, do the Whip Nay Nay. He says, now watch me whip. <laughs> now watch me Nay Nay. <laughs> Because he understands that he wants to exemplify the purpose of the song, which is very simple. Do what the song says. 
I believe Psalm 103 has the very same purpose as the Tootsie Roll, the Cha-Cha, and the Whip Nene. And it's simply this, to do what the song says. Now, we need to first deal with what the song is not saying. The, the song is not saying that we should somehow do theoretical tabo. The song is not saying that we should do contemplative crossfit. In other words, the song is not calling us to mental exercise. The call is the song is calling us to directional and deliberate expressive action. It is calling us in these three words in English and two words in Hebrew to bless the Lord. Now he explains what this means. And I love this psalm so much because it's one of the most beautifully written psalms in all of Scripture. What you see in this is what I would call a pizone, if you will. If anybody's been to Pizza Hut, they brought them Johns back. And what you have in a pizone is you have this crust, but then you have this very warm, cheesy, and pepperoni, if you eat meat, type of filling. What you have in this particular psalm is that kind of pizone where you have the crust of the mandate to bless the Lord, but you have this feeling of motivation for why you ought to do so. And so he begins by calling you to the mandate to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Three times in these first two verses, he calls you to do the same thing, Bless the Lord. It's almost as if he's saying, bless the Lord. And if you forgot it that time, bless the Lord. And if you ain't really get it that time, I need to remind you one more time to bless the Lord. And one of my frustrations when I listen to preaching is I can sometimes listen to beautiful exegesis, but in this tone of voice, bless the Lord. <laughs> oh, my soul. <laughs> and all and all. That is within me. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Wait for it. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and forget not his benefits. Now, that's wonderful way of reading the text. But I'm fearful that what it says to the church is that this is boring. That this lacks emotion. That this is David being stoic. Nah, the psalmist here is declaring this with an exclamation point upon it. He's calling himself to bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me to bless his holy name. Bless the Lord and forget not his benefits. The call to bless the Lord is an emotional one, y'all. The call to bless the Lord is a very specific one. See, I know y'all are in the Sermon on the Mount and you hear the word blessing and you might think of blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But that's a very different concept, very different word. It's a type of blessing that's caused and talks about flourishing. But this blessing is to ascribe the worth to a person and his or her position. To ascribe the worth that is due to a particular person and his or her position. And here is what the word has embedded in it. It has embedded in it this idea of kneeling. Now you might be wondering, how in the world can you talk about blessing, exaltation, and praise, and then have embedded in that the word kneeling? Well, it makes sense, right? Because as you respect your boss, you are put in your rightful place as an employee. As you honor your parents, amen to somebody, and especially y'all black folks who have black mothers. As you honor your parents, you are put in your rightful place, and they'll let you know if you don't know it, as their child. And as you bless the creator, you are put in your rightful place as creation and not creator itself. Bless the Lord. See, there's movies I like to watch with my children. And some of my kids' favorite movies are movies about little creatures. I don't know why. Maybe because we're a short family, y'all. And so we like to watch movies like Ants and Bugs Life and Toy Story. And we even like to watch the new movies on Netflix, the real life ones like 
planet Earth, but my kids only really like to watch when the insects are on. And they like to watch the the new Netflix original about the earth. And they only really like to watch it when the bugs are on. They like something about the little creatures. But as we watch these movies, here's what happens. You begin to believe that these are massive creatures. You begin to believe that these are massive, big, significant creatures. Why? Because the camera is zoomed in on the creature itself. But oftentimes what will happen, especially on planet Earth, is they'll start with this zoomed-in camera lens on an insect, but then it'll pan out to the forest. And immediately as they begin to pan out, it'll start panning out even to the surrounding island. And then it'll pan out all the way into a space view to the point where you get to see the globe itself. And finally, when you get to that pan-out space view, you realize this. That that which seemed to be larger than life is actually exponentially insignificant. Friends, this text in just calling us to bless the Lord is causing, calling us to pan out from being so self-centered. To pan out from exaltation and to pan out from thinking that we are the one who runs the show. It's calling us to pan out. We are to zoom in on who we are. One of my favorite things to do as a kid would play with Hot Wheel cars. And oftentimes I would get real close to it because I would want to look at the detail. Well, what is a Hot Wheels car beside the Lamborghini that it was modeled after? It becomes extremely insignificant. And so David is calling himself to pan out and to view the one that he is modeled after. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. The soul is a very important important concept in in Judaism. It is what makes a person a person. Many Hellenistic philosophers would believe that every object in creation has its own type of soul, that an apple has an apple soul, that a tree has a tree soul, that a giraffe has a giraffe soul, that a zebra got a zebra soul, that a dog got that fun dog soul, and that cat got that stink nasty attitude cat soul. And that human beings created in the image of likeness of God have human souls. Our souls are even more unique than that because God in the scriptures, not in Hellenistic philosophy, says that he knows each one of us by name. And so what's happening in this text is that David is calling all of who makes David, David. In other words, David is calling his Davidness to ascribe greatness to God. Think about who you are right now. Go ahead and ponder yourself for a little bit. Think about yourself. Even whisper your name out loud. Go ahead and do it right now. As soon as you said your name out loud, here's what I know sin did. Sin allowed pride to creep in. Here's what's true. Self-examination because of our fallenness is often accompanied by self-exaltation. As soon as we start to ponder ourselves, we start to get really prideful because we think we actually that bad. And so David has to command himself as you think about who you are, David, your soul, all that is within you. Don't use it to exalt yourself. Use it to bless the one to whom it's due. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul and all that is within me. Listen, there is something amazing happens when the blessing and praise and worship and adoration of God begins to get stirred up in your soul. There's something amazing that has happened. And I want you to understand that when God begins to stir up praise and affection and adoration for him in your soul, the whole world will know it. We used to have this broken washing machine. And it was real broken. I don't know if anybody y'all had one of those washing machines. And you throw the clothes in there, and that jaw start turning and stirring. And what would begin to happen is you would first start hearing the washing machine. Don't, 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 don't. But then you would start to see the washing machine shake. And if you were on the floor where the washing machine was, you would literally start to feel the washing machine shake. I want you to understand 
that when real blessing and real worship and real adoration toward God begins to stir all that is within you, everybody will see, hear, and experience your blessing of God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. He goes on to say, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Listen, y'all, y'all know what benefits are. Benefits is what makes you take that government job over that startup business. Y'all know what benefits are. It's what allows for you to say to yourself, though I hate everything I do, it's still worth it. It's still worth it. When we think about the benefits of God, we say to ourselves, though persecution might arise, though pain and suffering might come, no matter what the circumstance or situation, I can bless the Lord because I'm remembering all of his benefits. Now, that's the mandate, bless the Lord. But he goes on to explain what these benefits are, and this leads us into our motivations. And the first motivation is what God does, what he does for us. And these benefits are listed out one after the other, and it's beautiful. He first says he forgives all your iniquities. And I want you to underline the alls in the text and the yours in the text. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed? Like the eagles, listen, he forgives, he heals, he redeems, he crowns, and he satisfies. And he satisfies. If you read this text with the emphasis that I just put on it, you quickly understand one thing about this writer and one thing about his God. The writer is the getter, and his God is the giver. The writer is the getter, and his God is the giver. This is why the call is to bless the Lord, because I don't know any other situation in life where the getter can walk away without thanking the giver, and we'd be okay with it. As soon as we literally have our kids come out of the womb, literally moms be breastfeeding saying, now why ain't you saying thank you? Why are you so into yourself? Why are you so selfish? My kids literally had a Christmas day and I almost popped them in the mouth for this. They got a wonderful game system for my son, a tablet for my daughter, and then they got some clothes from their grandparents. Y'all know what it is. Now y'all can just get back into your own psyche back at that age, five and six. You ain't want no clothes. You can't play with clothes. You can't have fun with clothes. And my kids let us know that they were not happy about the clothes that their grandma gave them. As soon as I saw that on my kids, I was about to rush to discipline, and the Holy Spirit convicts me, that's you. That's you. How much have I given you? How much have I granted you? I literally sent my very son to die in your place and be raised from the dead so that you can know for certainty that you have eternal life and you are fretting about getting a better house, a better job, a better car, a better me, 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 mine, mine, mine. No, sir, that's you. The text is literally calling us to remember simply Remember his benefits. That's all it takes, friends. And we are a forgetful people. We forget a whole bunch of stuff. You need reminders basically for everything. You go into the store, you need a reminder for what you went in there to buy. Shopping list. Think about that. You have money to buy, what you, and you forget what you needed to buy once you get in the grocery store. Wow. We need reminders of what events we're supposed to attend. So we put them on the calendar. We need reminders oftentimes of people's names so when we put them in our phone, we don't just say John Adams. 
We say, John, the guy I met at the shop right that one day on that hot summer morning, and he wanted to go on and on about his twin sons. That John. Period. Contact. We put reminders in for everything except to remember God's goodness to us. And David is saying to himself, it's okay, David, if you remember all of your people's names. And if you've been leading in any capacity, that's one that I need to be set free from. It's okay if you remember, if you forget that. It's okay if you forget even sometimes those particular dates like anniversaries and birthdays. It might hurt them for a moment, but that's okay. But never, ever forget God's goodness towards you. Some things are unforgettable. Now, we move on into the text to his very next motivation which is not just what God has done, but it is who he is. If you look at verse 7, it says, He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And if you read this text, what you're reminded of is Exodus chapter 34, where Moses asked to understand the ways of Yahweh. And this is the swag that our God has. God goes before Moses, covers his eyes, and he says, you want to know who I am? I'm going to tell you about my name. And he declares his own name to Moses, and he goes on to say, The Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. This is not just what God does. This is who God is. Now, there's three things that are interwoven into this psalm that I want us to catch, and then I'm out of your way. Three things that this psalm teaches us about the character and nature of our designer God. First off, that he's compassionate. Second off, that he's merciful. And last but not least, that he is loving. Let's look at the compassion of God. Verse 6 says, the Lord works righteousness and justice. Say justice. This is a dirty word in our culture for all who are oppressed. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. I want to stop for a second. Remind yourself of who's writing this. This is is David. You want to talk about status in society? He got it. You want to talk about privilege in society? He got it. You want to talk about one who is exalted in society? No one gets higher than the king. And yet David, through the inspiration of the spirit of God, the first thing that he wants to declare about who God is, is that he is a worker of righteousness and justice for the oppressed. These are the financially impoverished and the physically impaired. These are the racially profiled and the falsely accused. These are the broken down and the beaten up. These are the fatherless and the fostered. These are the abandoned and the aborted. God sees them all. He hears them all. He feels them all. And he is compelled to act on them. He works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Now, that's the kind of compassion we would expect from a righteous king. And God always loves to declare himself as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. True. But he goes further than that for his people. Because look at verse uh, 13. It says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fears him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. He's just not a compassionate king. He is a compassionate father. 
The, the job and duty of a father is very simple. Keep your eyes on your kids and your ears tuned into your children. It's very simple. When you go out and you need to keep your eyes on your kids and your, ends, your ears tuned into your children. This is a simple, simple fact of fatherhood. Every time I go to the park, y'all, kids fall down. And y'all know it. They fall down on the ground just tripping over their own two feet. Sometimes they fall down after they get off the slide. Sometimes it's even worse because they fall off of the swing. And sometimes it's really bad when they fall off the jungle gym. I see kids fall down all the time at the park. And when I see a kid fall down, I'm like, ah, dang, you all right? Man, that, ah, that's, ah, that's tough. You could? They could be wailing. Ah, broke my leg. Oh, I'm so sorry. We got to find your parents. But let my baby girl say, ouch. And I am running to Zipporah. Baby girl, I'm crying with you. Do you have a boo-boo or did you break your whole face? I don't know what the difference is and I don't think you do either. But we are going to sit in this pain until you feel better. Do you see the distinction between the heart of a father and the heart of a stranger? God says he has a compassionate heart of a father for his children. That's God's heart for you. And we've seen this all throughout scripture. I don't know what particular times David is thinking of. But if you look at Genesis chapter 21, you see this wonderful, beautiful story of God's compassion. For he shows compassion not to Abraham, who you would think. Not to Sarai, who you would think. But he shows compassion to Hagar, the one that we don't think of, the one who was ostracized, the one who was kicked out of the home. And in that particular text, she has given up on the life of her son. She no longer has anything to feed him. She no longer has any way to survive him. And so she has absolutely given up all hope. And so she sits her child down under a tree. Now, I want you to think of the hopelessness that will cause you to abandon your own child. Imagine the hopelessness of Hagar in that moment. And what she does is she walks away. You can almost imagine her saying, I can't even watch his demise. And she turns away and walks off, all the while crying out to Yahweh. Lord, hear me. Lord, see my son. Lord, care for him. Lord, place your eyes upon him. And the text says something so unique that if you read quickly, you might miss it. The text says that the Lord heard the cry of the boy. Not of Hagar, but he heard the cry of the boy and responds to Hagar. Go pick up your child. I'm going to make of him a great nation. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to make some well of water out of nothing so y'all can get some water just to know, just to let you know that I really am with you. God sees us, hears us like a father does. I don't know if David was looking at Leah. Not Rachel, the one who seemed to be chosen by Jacob, but Leah, who was hated and barren. And the text says that the Lord saw her barrenness and opened her womb. The Lord keeps his eyes on his children. Friends, the whole rescue of the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt was because the text says that the Lord has saw their affliction and he has heard their cry. The eyes of the Lord, hear me, are fixated upon those he fathers. The eyes of the Lord upon his children, he is compassionate. Text goes on. We not only see the compassion of God, but we also see the mercy of God. Look at what the text says in verse 7 again. He says, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not, hear me, 
deal with us according to our sins. That's your hallelujah right there. Nor repay us according to our iniquities. Listen to me. In this picture, he's, and it's like a beautiful song. David is getting in his freestyle bag. And he's giving you a punchline in this particular text. Because what he's saying is that I want you to picture going to a store. And you see the store clerk. And you place $5 before them. You present $5. And when I was in Louisiana, this is what it would look like. As a kid, I didn't know anything about dollars and cents and all of that. All I knew is mama gave me $5. So I go to the store clerk and I say, what can this buy? And they take the $5 and they say, you could get some now laters, give you some Laffy Taffy. You know, I'm a kid. I'm only getting candy. And then throw the Cheetos on for the substance. <laughs> now, the text is saying that God does not deal with us according to what we have presented before him. Here it is. So you have to start asking yourself, okay, David, what did we present before him? Notice the text. He does not deal with us according to our sins. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. What the text is saying is that what we bring to God in heaven are our sins and our iniquities, and we ask the question, what can this get me? Now, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 gives you the answer. For it says that the wages of sin is death. You want to ask me what your sins and your iniquities can actually buy you? Nothing but death. You have worked hard for your death. You have earned your death. When you go to the God in heaven and you walk into your, his office and you ask for your paycheck and you do so in this American idealized way of give me what I've earned and give me what I deserve, he will direct deposit death into your soul. Now, the end of that text in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, gives you good news. For it says that the wages of sin is death. You want to earn it? You want to work for it? You want to go after it? Death is your prize. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you want to receive a gift? Just go to Jesus Christ by faith and he will hand you gladly his eternal life in Jesus Christ. Wow, wow, wow. He's merciful and gracious. See, not only does not God not give you what you have worked for, but he gives you what Jesus has worked for. On my staff, we made an accident one month, and we paid one of our staff members more than he had actually earned. And as we are going through and the staff member, we're trying to figure out, okay, how in the world did this happen? What happened? We realized that somebody on the finance team made a mistake. Somebody on the finance team had accidentally given him the paycheck that someone else had deserved. So he gave them the paycheck of one who had actually earned more dough. Listen to me. What we did on accident at my church, the God in heaven did on purpose. God looked at us and said, all you have earned is death. God looked at us and said, all you have earned is my wrath. God looked at us and said, all you have earned is separation from me. So I will not just not give you what you would deserve, but I will purposefully give you the wages that Jesus Christ has earned. All of his glory, all of the riches in the kingdom of heaven, I will gladly grant to you our faith in Jesus Christ. That's why they call it a great exchange. It makes no sense, but it's true. The Lord is merciful. And finally, the Lord is loving. The Lord is loving. 
Verse 8 says this, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove his transgressions from us. Man, I wish I could unpack this. The text is saying, and you have to get in the mind of a Jewish reader, that as far as the east is from the west, now we can't really conceptualize this because we all smart in our bag and we know the earth is round. But when you're thinking of an earth where the east is on this side and there's no continuum and the west is all the way over here and there's no continuum, listen to me. He's saying not just that the east is from the west. He's talking about how opposed they are. As my right hand will never be my left hand. As oil will never be water. So those who trust in Jesus Christ will never again be identified with their sin. As far as the east is from the west so far, he removes our transgressions from us. Wow. Listen, what this means, y'all, is that while we should, as Isaiah said, be separated from God and glued to our sin, God has separated us from our sin and glued us to himself. That's amazing. And it's all because of his love. Do you notice that the text said that he's abounding in steadfast love? Then it gives an analogy that as far as the the, the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards us. And then he goes on, look at verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness on his children's children to those who keep his commandments and remember to do his commandments. He is unpacking a lot about God's love. And I think there's three things we see here. First off, God's love is inexhaustible. It's inexhaustible. It's endless. It has no end to its supply. You run out of toilet paper almost every week. Run out of milk and eggs every week. And what do you have to do? You have to go to the supplier. The worst feeling in the world is that when you run out of eggs, then you go to your supplier and they ran out of eggs too. I'm stuck. The text is saying that God never runs out of love. You can always go to this supplier. His love is inexhaustible. Not only that, but it says as high as the heavens are above the earth. This is God's version of a kid that says, I love you this much. God is saying as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is my steadfast love towards you. God. In this text says his love is from everlasting to everlasting. And I don't know how reformed you are in your theology, but I'm going to unpack a truth of scripture if you don't mind. This text teaches us that God's love is so amazing that before you existed, because you're finite, you are not everlasting. Before you ever came to be, God loved you. And then he just goes this way. Because God is good like this with his. And he says, and until eternity is not eternity anymore, which will never happen, I will continue to love you. Here's what the text is saying. That God, because he is timeless, is not looking forward in the future, hoping that he will continue by some way. Because we are some sinful, knuckleheaded people. How am I going to love him through that? He sinned again. Oh, not that one. Oh, no. Okay. Oh, okay. I can see how I can look. God is not looking in the future, hoping that he will keep loving you. Because our God is timeless. When he loved you in eternity past, he was already with you in eternity future, still loving on you some more. His love is from everlasting to everlasting. Steadfast love is inexhaustible. And for this reason, it's inexplicable. It's inexplicable. If you read all different versions of any Bible that you can find, and they're trying to translate this word into English, you get all different types of ways of translating this word. 
I mean, you'll see steadfast love. You'll see enduring love. You'll see patient love. And then King James Version, he just had to make something up. Love and kindness. Can't even figure this thing out. It's inexplicable because it's incomprehensible. You can't quite grasp this kind of love. And because of this, the last thing that his love is, it's not only inexhaustible and inexplicable, it is exclusive. It is exclusive. Now, it's exclusive for one reason, because only God can supply this kind of love. The hundreds of times this word is used, the majority, the vast majority of the times it is used of Yahweh and him alone. You can't go other places to go find this love. I was reading in Genesis chapter 39 and 40. And in Genesis chapter 39, the text says something interesting. It says that he poured out his steadfast love upon Joseph. Listen to that. Yahweh pours out his steadfast love upon Joseph, and he receives this new kind of love that he's never experienced before. Joseph then gets locked up in prison. And he's in prison. And he's sitting in the confines of prison. And here, he finally has an opportunity to get free. One of the jailers has a dream. And he shares his dream with him, and Joseph is given a revelation that this man who just shared a dream is actually going to be freed and is going to be sitting in Pharaoh's palace only a few days later. Now, when Joseph has this dream, and he recognizes that the dude I'm about to give this dream to is probably going to be hyped because this is good news for him. I have an opportunity. He goes to this man, and he says the very same words. He says, remember me when you go to Pharaoh to show steadfast love towards me. I think Joseph learned one of his most priceless uh, uh, lessons. And I think it's this. That that love that he received in Genesis 39 from God is impossible to receive from anybody else. His love is exclusive. But it's not only exclusive because of who supplies it. It's also exclusive because of who it is supplied to. Did you notice how many times in the text it says to those who fear him? Did you notice how many times in the text it says to those who keep his commandments? This steadfast, continual, perpetual, inexhaustible, inexplicable love is exclusive to those who have actually made Jesus Lord over their lives. It's exclusive. So my question on the table is that you. Have you actually made Jesus Lord of your life? Have you feared God in that way? Because there were many Israelites who loved the fact that they had just been rescued from Egypt but would not go as far as to adhere to God's commandments. They loved the God who saved them. We're not going to budge to make that God Lord. Many of us in here have heard the good news of Jesus Christ that if you place your faith in Jesus, you can have eternal life. And we think of it as a get-out-of-hell-free card. And then all of a sudden, when he asks for him to be Lord, it's like, I don't want that guy, though. Listen, you cannot call Jesus the Christ without calling Jesus Lord. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, when you get down to the end of that song, it says that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you fear him if you do this love is for you this amazing unexplainable love is for you but it's for you in Christ and in Christ alone hear me when you go through each one of these benefits as I close and you just take them point by point And you look at those benefits that he laid out as the things that he did. And you look at the fact that he forgives all your iniquities. He heals. He redeems. He crowns. And finally, he's satisfied. Understand that the New Testament recognizes that all of those benefits are found ultimately in Jesus Christ. You want to talk about the fact that he forgives? Luke chapter 24 24 says that Jesus Christ would be the one through whom forgiveness and repentance would be proclaimed. If you talk about the fact 
that he would heal. Isaiah chapter 53 literally says that by his wounds you have been healed. If you talk about the fact that he has redeemed us of Jesus, it is said that in him we have redemption through his blood. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. If you talk about the fact that he has crowned you with steadfast love. And the idea here is that God takes two threads, steadfast love and mercy, and places it upon your head. In order to do so, in order to crown you with love, Jesus had to be crowned with thorns. Listen, you want to talk about the fact that Jesus satisfied. I want to encourage you to read John chapter 6 verse 35. It says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not be hungry. And whoever believes in me shall never be thirsty. He satisfies you. So that all of the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Run to Jesus Christ. Run to him quickly. Run to him now. And understand this, that as you run to him and as you understand the gift of God's grace, let's collectively bless the Lord on the way. Bless the Lord who was condemned so that you could be forgiven. Bless the Lord who was bruised so that you could be healed. Bless the Lord who was rejected so that you could be redeemed. Bless the Lord who was crowned with thorns so that you could be crowned with love. Bless the Lord who is needy and desperate so that you can be satisfied. Ultimately, bless the Lord who died so that you can live. But don't stop there because the story don't stop there. Bless the Lord who also rose from the dead three days later. Bless the Lord who turned an expensive tomb into a hotel stay at a Holiday Inn. Who checked in on Friday and he checked out on Sunday. Bless the Lord who conquered the grave. Bless the Lord who conquered death. And bless the Lord who gives assurance of eternal life to everybody who believes in his name. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. So one time as we stand up, I'd like for us to read verses 20 through 22 together, if you will. I'm reading from the ESV version. It's cool. I don't even care what version you're reading. But I want you to read like you mean it. Ephesians, I mean, <laughs> Psalm chapter 103, verse 20 through 22. It says this on the count of three. Let's read this together. Bless the Lord. Oh, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. And say to yourself this last one, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Hallelujah, praise God. Thank you, Jesus.